Thank you for calling Catholic News Agency and EWTN News. This is Kevin. Thank you for calling Catholic News Agency. This is Mary. How can I help you? Hello, this is Jonah. You've reached the CNA Newsroom. You have reached the CNA Newsroom. You've reached the CNA Newsroom. You've reached the CNA Newsroom. You've reached the CNA Newsroom. Welcome to CNA Newsroom. Welcome to the very first episode of CNA Newsroom, a podcast that breaks down great stories and the Catholic news that matters each week. I'm your host and CNA Editor-in-Chief J.D. Flynn. I'm in Baltimore this week for the fall meeting of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. As the bishops try to address the sex abuse crisis, they have to deal with a surprise announcement from the Vatican, and they're trying to meet the expectations of Catholics who hope the bishops can show them that they're committed to bringing real change to the Church on the issue of sexual abuse. We're going to talk about a lot of that today. But first, here's what you need to know. Catholic Charities is mobilizing to offer relief to victims of wildfires in California. The so-called campfire in Northern California has killed at least 42 people. It is the most destructive wildfire in California's history. Another wildfire west of Los Angeles has destroyed nearly 400 structures and has killed at least three people. That fire is a little over half contained. Catholic Charities of Sacramento, Northern Nevada, and Catholic Charities USA are all taking financial donations. Pope Francis will visit Morocco in March, the Vatican announced this week. The Pope will visit two cities March 30th and 31st. He is the second Pope to visit the country. St. John Paul II visited Morocco in 1985 as the first Pope to visit a Muslim country at the invitation of the state. Catholics make up an estimated 0.1% of Morocco's population. This is only the second apostolic visit to be confirmed by the Vatican for 2019. Pope Francis will also travel to Panama in January for World Youth Day. U.S. bishops voted this week to open the canonization cause of Sister Thea Bowman, a Franciscan sister of perpetual adoration, remembered for her advocacy for racial equality in the mid-20th century. Sister Thea was born in 1937 in Mississippi. She converted to Catholicism at the age of 12 after attending religious services at the different churches in her town. She joined the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration at the age of 15. Sister Thea helped found the National Black Sisters Conference and the Institute for Black Catholic Studies at Xavier University in New Orleans. One of her signature phrases was, Black is beautiful. Sister Thea died of breast cancer in 1990. Her cause is being investigated by the Diocese of Jackson in Mississippi. Four priests abducted in Nigeria last week have been released. The priests had been traveling to a reunion when they were abducted, allegedly by herdsmen. The priests were taken to a hospital for treatment. It is unclear whether a ransom was paid for the priests' release. Christians in Nigeria are facing increasing levels of harassment, with the radical Islamist group Boko Haram in the north and smaller, violent gangs in the south. For more information on these stories, visit catholicnewsagency.com. Now back to J.D. in Baltimore. So, as I said before, I'm in Baltimore this week for the fall meeting of the U.S. Bishops' Conference, the USCCB. I've been to numerous bishops' conferences before, but this is by far the most unique experience I've had at a bishops' meeting. The conference started on Monday with a moment of prayer among the bishops. Then Cardinal DiNardo, who's president of the U.S. Bishops' Conference, gave his opening speech. 
At the insistence of the Holy See, we will not be voting on the two action items in our documentation regarding the abuse crisis, that is, the standards of accountability for bishops and the special commission for receiving complaints against bishops. Now, let me give you a little more background on this. The Vatican has asked bishops to refrain from voting on action items related to the sex abuse crisis until after a February meeting in Rome of all presidents of bishops' conferences around the world. But these action items were the bishops' attempt to show resolution to the sex abuse scandal that has plagued the United States all summer. Although I am disappointed that we will not be taking these actions tomorrow in terms of vote, I remain hopeful that this additional consultation will ultimately improve our response to the crisis we face. Not all Catholics share DiNardo's cautious optimism. There's an unprecedented level of distrust and even anger at the Catholic Church for these scandals, from the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report, to the revelations of the sexual abuse of former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, to the letters from former Nuncio Archbishop Vigano suggesting a cover-up of McCarrick's abuse went all the way to the top. I think the clearest example of this distrust and anger, at least at this week's conference, were the daily protests held outside the hotel where the bishops are meeting. The largest of the rallies was pretty controversial because it was organized by online groups like churchmilitant.com and the Lepanto Institute, both of which bishops have called destructive and designed to spur confusion in the church. We're not going to get into the controversy surrounding those groups today, although I think that would be interesting for a future episode. But CNA's DC correspondent Christine Rossell attended some of the protest rallies this week, not for the speakers, but mostly to talk with the less famous Catholics she met there, with moms who brought their kids and with grandmothers. Christine spoke with our DC bureau chief, Ed Condon, about her experience on the ground. Here's some of that conversation. Christine, we're here in the conference hall at the USCCB Fall General Assembly in Baltimore, but while all the attention's been focused on what's going on inside the hall, you've actually been outside seeing what's going on there. Tell me what you saw. Um, there's been a v small pockets of protesters mostly, with the exception of, uh, sorry, Tuesday's big rally um, that was called uh, Silent Stops Now, and um, that featured about 200, a crowd of about 200 to 300 people that were all there, and it was um, basically, it was kind of similar to like a campaign rally of sorts, like there was just a lot of motivational talks trying to spur up uh, a crowd that's already pretty angry and feeling pretty betrayed by um, actions that they've think the church has or hasn't taken over the last few months. Were there particular instances or cases that they were protesting or was this a sort of just they were genuinely upset about the crisis facing the church or did they have particular issues that they were? A mixture of both. Um, McCarrick came up frequently which I mean it's been a pretty common theme of this whole assembly. Uh, very angry at McCarrick um, and then just accountability in general and they just want reforms and uh, the word betrayed was thrown around a lot. They just felt very betrayed, very angry and um, yeah, they just they want to see changes, and they don't think these changes are happening fast enough, which is ironically some of the same sentiment that a lot of the bishops in here have been uh, saying. So the people that you were talking to in the crowd, did they have, um, were they concerned about their own bishops, their own priests, or were they looking at the whole scandals as a sort of wider agenda? Was it something they were personally connected with at home? Or? Well, one woman I spoke to was from Philadelphia, and she cited the, you know, the Pennsylvania uh, Attorney General report that came out. Uh, in August. And were they were these people coming on their own? Was it families, you said? There's a lot of families, but there are also just a lot of people that were by themselves or single adults. But there were a large number of children present at the rally. And, I mean, there were a lot of signs that you could see even from um, inside the conference hotel calling for resignations, calling for repentance, that sort of thing. Was the anger focused on any particular bishops or was it 
you know, really just addressing the conference as a body? I think it was more just the conference as a body. Obviously, the ones that have been accused of things, McCarrick, Whirl, those were, there were a lot of boos. Um, one notable exception was uh, Archbishop Vigano, who received thunderous applause at the mere mention of his name, and then not connected to the rally directly, but today, uh, Wednesday, there was a poster, of a life-size poster of uh, Archbishop Vigano, and it literally said, Our Hero, on it. So did they mention the Pope? Or? Oh, yeah, the Pope was mentioned. But, I mean, when I was there, I didn't hear any like, of the cause for his resignation, but they do want reforms amongst the curia and the hierarchy. Well, they're still outside now, and we'll see how many stay throughout the rest of the conference. I'm Ed Condon, and Christine, as always, great to talk to you. Thank you. Hey, it's J.D. Flynn, CNA Newsroom. So as I've mentioned before, what happened on Monday at the beginning of the U.S. bishops' meeting was that Cardinal DiNardo announced that the measures the bishops intended to pass as a way to begin addressing the sexual abuse crisis in this country were suspended, put on ice by the Vatican, who asked the bishops not to vote on anything until after a meeting scheduled in February for the heads of bishops' conferences around the world. That made this meeting unlike any other, and, um, and, and among a lot of bishops was a source of disappointment and frustration. We're going to talk about what happened at the rest of the meeting, and um, I'm joined by Ed Condon, CNA's DC editor, and by National Catholic Register, uh, columnist, friend of CNA, and all-around good guy, Father Raymond D'Souza. Ed, Father, thanks a lot for, for being here with us. Nice to be most welcome, J.D. So, Ed, what happened on Tuesday uh, as the bishops met together? Well, what happened on Tuesday was Cardinal DiNardo and the the leadership of the Bishops' Conference essentially threw the floor open to comments and observations, suggestions from the members, um, absent the ability to debate meaningfully or vote on any of the proposals that they'd arrived ready to discuss. And it was very interesting to see um, how that conversation evolved. It began with some fairly stilted, even formal uh, statements of concern, but it quickly became um, a very frank discussion between the bishops on different opinions on the roots of the sexual abuse crisis, what the priorities of the U.S. bishops should be, their reactions to the Holy See's intervention, and really um, a, sort of, a lot of personal reflections as well from the bishops as they struggled to deal with ministry in their own diocese. Yeah, I, I just want to say one thing about that. Amid all of the difficulty and strangeness of this meeting, one thing that just was really cool was that um, as bishops talked yesterday about um, about their own experience of the sexual abuse crisis, there, there seemed to be um, an, an authenticity, almost a vulnerability. Bishops talked about their own prayer lives, their desires to grow in holiness, the difficulties that they faced as a bishop, their need for, um, for brotherhood among one another. Um, you don't often see bishops talking like that, at least at, at these meetings and at least with one another. Some people said, you know, it seemed the Holy Spirit was moving at least in that way to uh, to bring about a different tone to the bishops' conference meeting, Father Raymond, what did you take away from that? Well, I think that the the meeting will be recorded in some sense as a complete failure because the principal object of the meeting was not uh, accomplished and wasn't even really discussed. Well, it was discussed, but not in a in a fashion of making a practical reform. Perennial optimist, Father Raymond D'Souza. But, <laughs> but I think that this meeting might have been contrary to expectations on Monday morning. A very fruitful precisely because of what both of you just mentioned is that we had bishops speaking in public uh, in a very frank way and one of the things that has been an, 
frustration over the past several months and a criticism of the bishops or their culture is that they don't speak frankly. Uh, they don't say when they disagree. They pretend uh, for good reasons, you know, collegial reasons and so forth. And you had bishops saying things that were very frank. And actually, I think that achievement, because voting on a proposal or a new protocol is a relatively easy thing. I'm not diminishing the amount of work that went into it, but you either vote it up or down and you institute it. Changing a culture is a very difficult thing. And there was a change in culture. I mean, just let three short examples. Cardinal Donardo said regarding the decision of Pope Francis, I'm puzzled, I don't understand it, I'm not happy. I don't think a bishop's conference of presidents ever said that, even when he felt it in the past. Uh, bishop Beegler, in uh, response to the um, motion that you mentioned, uh, said this, is, this motion is an act of distrust in the Holy Father. Uh, that was a motion moved by one of his brother bishops, for which a third of them voted for, and he felt that way, and he felt free to say it. Also a very serious thing. And Cardinal Blaise Supich, who spoke a great deal during this meeting, uh, he said that the Holy Father has said he's going to tell us the truth, and we should take him at his word. I don't think a cardinal has ever said that in public. Or felt he had to, maybe. Or felt Yes, but the, the, the point is, is that, so things were said here um, that were really quite different. One bishop said to me that this was the healthiest meeting he'd been to in 10 years of coming, uh, even though the agenda was abrogated before it began because a frank conversation was had in public. And, and I talked to um, Bishop Chris Coyne from Burlington, Vermont today, and I asked him, I said, look, the gloves are off in a way that they're usually not off at a bishop's meeting. Does that make it easier or harder to do your work? And he said it makes it a lot harder probably to pass something, to get a resolution through, but he said at least we know where we stand, and we haven't always known where we stand or where other people stand. So um, I, I think maybe the bishops are glad to, to have their sources of agreement and disagreement out on the table because that makes them brothers. What do you, what do you think, Ed? I think, I think that's certainly true. Um, the bishops often like to talk about uh, them being brothers and acting in a fraternal way, whether it's fraternal support and love or fraternal correction. And I think what has changed in this conference is finally they're, they're beginning to understand that brothers don't necessarily always get along or agree. Um, one bishop uh, mentioned to me that at this point, disagreement was its own virtue at this, <laughs> during, this con during this meeting, and I think there's some truth to that. On the other hand, I worry that the bishops are going to find that while this was maybe um, a, a far more productive and positive experience for the bishops than many of them expected, it's not going to be seen that way by the faithful. Yeah, and what happened today with, with regard to that? What, what could have happened for the faithful today? This is, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, and of course it'll come out tomorrow on Thursday, but what happened today? Well, what happened, or rather didn't happen today, was there was only one item voted on, and it failed, and that item was to encourage the Holy See to publish whatever documents it could in accord with canon and civil law to do with the case of Archbishop McCarrick and his rise through the ranks of the church. Now, as we've already discussed, there was a lot of frank discussion amongst the bishops about whether or not that was necessary, whether it was appropriate. Um, but I think we really saw um, either the, the willingness of the bishops to engage in frank discussion or their utter dysfunction, depending on how you want to look at it. When you see a room full of bishops debating whether or not um, a resolution to for the church to respond to really the most acute crisis that uh, the American church is facing, and they weren't even sure whether or not they should include the word soon in it. Uh, that, I think, was, was indicative of what a lot of Catholics in the pews will see as dysfunction. Yeah, yeah. So the bishops, again, they, they considered a resolution today to ask the Holy See to release all the documentation it could about the alleged misconduct of Archbishop McCarrick, 
and um, and that resolution failed. There were bishops who said that the Holy See is already conducting an investigation and disagreement about whether releasing documentation was different from doing what the Holy See said it planned to do, which is to release a, a report. Um, uh, Father Raymond, what, what do you think happened? Why did it fail? And what do you think Catholics in your parish and that you speak with are going to say about this? I mean, th this resolution was proposed yesterday as a desire. We have to say something about something. And that something about something has to express that we're not happy about what the Holy See did. Uh, so the resolution in its spirit, if not in its exact words, was a way of saying uh, regarding Pope Francis, we're not happy with you in this specific regard. That's about, really what it was. About, about About the sex abuse handling of this issue. And a number of bishops who are quite ferocious on McCarrick thought, well, that, we don't need to do that, or that's not a good thing to do. So um, those who follow it carefully, who follow, you know, the CNA reporting will understand that. I think that the uh, motion failed. Uh, one third voted for it, roughly. Uh, but anybody who in Rome who pays attention, and presumably the Nuncio will report, would say that it's not tenable that you cannot produce a very comprehensive report because at least one third of the bishops have asked for it. Another third thought we shouldn't ask for it because it's bad manners, but they want it. Uh, so I think that the, the message will be received on that, um, uh, in this case, by the investigation the Vatican is doing. So I don't think it was a fruitless exercise. And it had the benefit of people speaking, very frankly, about how they feel about the Holy Father, which has never, ever been done, I think, in public at a bishop's conference meeting in the United States or elsewhere, I don't think. I Let mean. me ask you, because you're a, pre you're a priest, and uh, you have your college chaplain, so your students are, your, your parishioners are students and young and have the, the, the passions of youth and um, have got to be feeling all of this. H how do you help them be formed in faith, grow in faith, stay in faith, keep, even for some of them, keep going to Mass? How, how, what, how do you help people grow spiritually at this moment when they're discouraged by the church in many cases? There was one bishop, I think maybe it was Bishop Olmsted, I can't remember now, there was many spoke today, who said that through this the faithful are becoming more faithful and others are falling away. Um, a college chaplain only deals with the faithful. I mean, no one w drifts into the chaplaincy anymore. You're there because you've been invited or you've made a decision. I think the evidence to date, which can only be anecdotal, uh, amongst those vibrant things that we know about that are happening on campus, other things, those do not seem to have diminished in their vibrancy uh, because of the troubles of this year. Okay. Well, Father D'Souza, thanks for being with us. Ed, as ever, mostly a pleasure to be with you. And uh, it's J.D. Flynn. Ed Condon. And, and a total pleasure for me to be with both of you today. Seriously, thank you for being with us, Father D'Souza. You really classed up the joint and we're grateful. <laughs>
when there's been so much talk, especially under this pontificate of, of you know, subsidiarity of working yeah, with yeah. things on the, on the on the the appropriate level, and sometimes that means at the conference level, sometimes that means synod, which we recently had recently had the synod for the youth, and uh, sometimes that means you know up in a in a higher level too, but um, in a sense it it it, it, it kind of sends a message that you don't have confidence in us. And the work that we do, but I, I have confidence in our conference, I have confidence in our leadership under Cardinal Donardo and the uh, and uh, the vice uh, president, um, Archbishop Gomez. I have a lot of confidence, and in my brother bishops. And so, hopefully, through this, we're going to at least have some sort of consensus vote, so where our uh, leadership goes to the gathering with the Holy Father and the other leadership around conferences around the world that they're able to bring our voice, that are able to bring our thoughts. And really at the heart of everything that we're trying to do is have a, a care, concern uh, for those who are survivors of sexual abuse, whether at the hands of the church or, or, or others. Um, so we can be an instrument of healing. And, um, and ultimately that means leading people into a deep and intimate encounter with the living Christ. Another bishop I spoke with suggested that in the meantime, U.S. bishops could issue their own censure of Archbishop McCarrick. Here's Bishop Liam Carey of Baker, Oregon. You think of the censure of Senator Joseph McCarthy, that's uh, 60 some years ago. Yeah. That, that doesn't happen every day. Yeah. But this something like this doesn't happen every day. Mm -hmm. And it's for us to say specifically, he's one of us. Mm -hmm. He's one of us. Are we with him or not? Right. And also, so it has that, that message for ourselves to, to distance ourselves from that behavior. Mm -hmm. And also to distance ourselves for the sake of the faithful, to encourage them, but also for him. You talked today about uh, making sure that uh, Archbishop McCarrick, that the judgment of God was communicated to him. Well, the, the, you, the mercy of God, but first the judgment of God. That he, and so he, he, we, that's one of the reasons for this censure would be to call him to repentance, not just to leave him out there by himself, but to, as, a, as a means of our concern, you know, I'd say brotherly concern for his soul. A leading voice at the U.S. Bishops' meeting is that of Archbishop Charles Shapu of Philadelphia. Archbishop Shapu spoke with me about the importance of involving laity in the governance of the church. You know, I'm, I've always been a great believer in the core responsibility of the lay and clergy for the, for the governance of the church. You know, bishops have a responsibility to be pastors, and, and that means to be an overseer of the whole church. But I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, 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 I think it's been a characteristic of my ministry as bishop to encourage lay people to be co-responsible. And that means they don't work for the bishop, they work for Jesus Christ, and they have the right to their, their own initiatives, their independent initiatives in the service of the gospel. And I think when it comes, you know, since there is a significant lack of trust on the part of uh, some laity for the bishops, I think the laity have to become involved in winning that trust back by taking responsibility for um, some um, investigation and oversight. CNA's DC editor Ed Condon sat down with Archbishop Paul Coakley, the Archbishop of Oklahoma City. Here's a little bit of their conversation. There was a proposed resolution calling on the Holy See or encouraging the Holy See to release whatever documents they could come up with regarding Cardinal former Cardinal McCarrick's rise and fall in the church, um, but that that failed by a fairly large margin. Do you see this as a as a defeat for? No, I I think I think. Uh we got bogged down in, in, in details and in, in kind of wordsmithing a resolution. Um, and when it was pointed out that the Holy See has already said that they were going to investigate this, and I, I think we got lost in the weeds. But uh, 
Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the sort of debate around the minutia of the exact phrasing and everything. Mm-hmm. One thing that um, I think struck a number of people watching was that there there ended up being a vote on the inclusion or not of the word soon. And I think for a lot of Catholics watching, this is this is a question: is does do the church's authorities understand that soon is really the thing that many of them are worried about? I think we understand that very clearly here in the United States. I, I I'm not sure. Um, I, what does soon mean in in uh, in Rome, which was not built in a day, and uh, has been, as is often said, you know, Rome's time is very different. They they have a different perspective on things, which is not our American perspective. We 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 value results. Uh, we are very practical. Uh, Rome always takes a, a more global and, and broad view of things and uh, doesn't rush to conclusions. Unfortunately, in a crisis like this, uh, we need swift uh, action. We need a swift response. And I think that's an understandable source of frustration, not only for the the faithful who are maybe watching this on television or uh, listening to it uh, being broadcast, but it's a great source of confusion and and disappointment and even anger for among many of many of the bishops. We'd like to see this resolved more much more swiftly. Looking ahead, the the bishops are next set to meet sometime after February's meeting of the world um, the world bishops conference heads in Rome. Is there anything that you hope to see productively done between now and then? Between now and the February meeting? Yes. Um, well, I think locally we we're we haven't slowed down on what what we're doing, uh, and we we'll, we will continue our own uh, uh, review and uh, of files and. Uh, uh, tightening up of procedures f- uh, for our, our review board, um, so that will continue. Um, I hope uh, you know we'll we'll have further conversation uh, here uh, in executive session tomorrow, and uh, I'm not sure if anything will come out of that immediately. But I think I think the conversation is going to be ongoing, uh, and uh, I think we'll we'll have some sharper focus as we move forward, and we hope to be able to provide. Uh, Cardinal Donardo with with the best resources he can possibly bring to share with others uh, uh, at that meeting um, in February. Archbishop Coakley, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. We're recording this podcast mostly on Tuesday and Wednesday of the week of the U.S. Bishops' Conference, and we'll release it on Thursday. And uh, we don't know what's going to come by the time you get this podcast. Things seem to change here minute to minute. The bishops were throwing a curveball, and they've been trying to adapt, and soon they'll go into executive session where they meet by themselves, and so we'll have less access and less information for what's happening. So even as I'm speaking to you, I'm sure things have happened that have changed changed the narrative or have have developed the story since, since I'm recording this. But just just a couple of thoughts. The bishops this week at the bishops' conference came together because they wanted to address the crisis of sexual abuse, and um, and they thought they had some resolutions that would help them to do that, and they were thrown a curveball. Uh, we're looking into why they were thrown that curveball, what the decision was at the congregation for bishops to, to tell them not to vote on their resolutions about sexual abuse. We're looking into how that could have happened. At the same time, we know that they want to move forward, and they're not in agreement about how to move forward. They're not in agreement about what the best decisions are. Some bishops suggest that the idea of an independent lay commission for the entire country 
to investigate claims of misconduct or negligence or sexual abuse by bishops is a good idea. Other bishops are beginning to coalesce around an idea of having metropolitan bishops, which are the archbishops of a region, investigate these things with a review board or with, um, as one bishop suggested, other bishops involved. And it's going to take a while before all this gets sorted out. And for a lot of Catholics, that's going to be hard. I talked to a Catholic guy outside of the hotel today. His name was Vern. And I asked him, just a, a regular guy, he grew up Catholic, he doesn't practice the faith anymore, he drives a taxi. And I asked him, I said, Vern, well, what do you think the bishop should do? And he said, you know, I don't know, but if a kid goes into a church to worship God, he ought to be safe. I think that's the sentiment a lot of Catholics are feeling right now, not only that um, children ought to be safe in church, but that all of us can know that our leaders, our bishops, our priests, um, are, are acting with integrity, are, are pursuing the gospel, are pursuing the life of, uh, of faith. And for a lot of Catholics, suddenly there are questions about whether that's true. And there's evidence that some bishops have not tried to live in accord with the teachings of the church. And that's hard, so Catholics are trying to deal with that. We're going to keep on these stories. We're going to keep trying to bring you the facts that we can. But more than anything, we're going to keep praying for the life of the church, and we're going to encourage you to do that. We're in this together. We've got to be in prayer. We've got to ask the Lord for hope. We've got to do all that we can to remind the church that we expect our leaders to act with integrity, to try and follow after Christ, and our leaders have to remind us that they expect us to do that too. So the church is the communion of the baptized, and all of our roles are important, and that's never been more evident or more clear than it is right now. That's our podcast for today. Thanks for listening. You can find more information about everything we talked about today at catholicnewsagency.com. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency and EWTN News Outlet. I'm your host, J.D. Flynn. We're produced and edited by Kate Vike and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Vike. Special thanks this week to my boss, Alejandro Bermudez, to all our friends at EWTN, and to all of you for listening. Thanks again.